Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill, and this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 187. Welcome back, everybody. We've got a full episode for you this week. Yes, we've so, got <laughs> we've got all sorts of stuff. We've got mystery. <laughs> we've got intrigue. We've got love. We've got, we've got murder. Probably, I don't know. That was your job this week? <laughs> Question <Probably>? mark. <laughs> Maybe. Look, we've got it all. Hold, hold your pants. Hold. Okay. Hold your shorts. Hold your horses. <laughs> Kids. Hold your wives. Yeah. <laughs> Hide your wives. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um. So we just saw each other at dance class, which we love. We've talked about a million times, but I was like rushing to get ready so that I could eat lunch really quick because I was starving. But I realized I've been like, do you ever get like hyper, like fixated on a meal where you'll just have the same meal over and over? Like leftovers? No, just like I've been, (laughs) I've been having like the same sandwich, the same kind of sandwich for like. Let's hear it. Like I need a month. the full description of this sandwich. It's really not that exciting. It is the only thing that is exciting about it. It is the savory tarragon chicken salad from Publix. Ooh, okay. I don't think I've had that. Oh, it's so good. And then okay. and it has like has like slivers of almonds in it. So it's like crunchy, you get that crunchy sometimes. And then yes. I put cheese and then I have it on a bagel. And uh it makes me – it, like, brings me so much joy. Like, when I'm eating it, I'm just, like, truly – I look forward to eating it. And when I'm eating it, I'm like, I really am enjoying this so much. <laughs> and Good. I've been eating That's it for, like, food... four weeks. Good for you. That's what food <laughs> should do. And then when you stop getting that much joy, then you change sandwiches. Yeah, then I'll change That's it up. Life. Yeah. I actually just saw, like, some, like, some, like, food – I follow a lot of, like – you know, food blogs and like New York Times food, like all that stuff on yeah. on Instagram. And some like, I don't want to say it was a New York Times if it wasn't, but some like highbrow um, account posted like, we want to get a crunch in your sandwich? Try putting potato chips. And I was like, bitch, I've been doing that since I was like four. <laughs> right? <laughs> what? You didn't invent that. No. No. It's been a thing. always put <laughs> potato chips in your sandwich. What? what? Just, Why would you not? It angered me so much because it's like, uh-uh, you are not going to rebrand <laughs> potato chips in a sandwich. No. That's been right. around for way before – the world was even invented. It's been First around. First came s- on the <laughs> se- fifth day. God created potato chips and sandwiches. Someone said this sandwich is too mushy. <laughs> then it potato chips. Put some chips in there. Yeah, put a chip in yeah. it. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's so that's so annoying. I feel like that happens often in the <sighs> New York Times, where you're like, "This is a thing people have been doing forever," and now you're trying to like, I don't know. I don't have Can any I other say- examples. A, this is a cranky old lady thing for me to say. And yeah. I'm going to say it. But I okay. feel like that comes from like, you know, um, y- young young people. <laughs> <laughs> Let me hear it. Let's talk about the thinking youth. They, thinking they started everything. You know, it's like I see it all the time. I'm going to get – this is like, oh, man, 
I think I'm fired up from dance class. I don't know. What to say. <laughs> like I see it all the time with like, especially male comedians, like yes. new young male comedians that are like first time dads and they're doing like humor. Like it's never, they're the first person on this earth to have had children. And it's yes. like, dude, like, I don't know. For some reason, it's just, an, it's like, it's a brand new concept that like they want to tell us what it's all about. Right. You know what I mean? And it just, it drives me crazy for some reason. Because those yeah. are my jokes. And I- <laughs> well, and also the thing is, is I'm that when kidding. women talk about their kids, it's like, yeah. oh, she's a mom. But when men talk about their kids on stage, it's like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. he's a dad. Oh, he's funny. And he's so sweet. Like that is – it's mm-hmm. such it's such a double standard. I, I can't tell you how many people when I – like when I – found out I was pregnant, I had so many bookers and other comedians be like, oh, well, I guess you're going to be a mom comic now. And I'm like, yeah. well, fucking, what about Louis C.K.? This is before he was canceled. But like, I'm like, yeah. he's, he's like the ultimate dad comic and you guys are all sucking his dick. Like, what? <laughs> Jim Gaffigan has like seven kids and nobody ever referred to Jim Ka- Gaffigan as a dad comic. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. God, we could talk about this the whole episode, but we're not going to. But anyway, I'm just saying, whoever said that about the potato chips and sandwiches, yeah. like, slow down. Slow down. Back, uh, let's, like – Go back to your mom's pantry. Right. Find something else. Maybe just realize that yeah. every idea has already been come up – has already – somebody has already come up with it. Just, like – Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, like, you everything You want us to start putting Twizzlers in soda at the movies? <laughs> Oh, you want oh, guess you want to put invent that either. <laughs> you want to put Jolly Rancher at the bottom of your Zimas? Yeah, we did that. <laughs> Do you want to take one of those long Jolly Ranchers and run it across your teeth and pretend you have braces? Get a life. I already did that. <laughs> That's why my teeth are fucked up to this day because they weren't real braces and they were made of straight up sugar. <laughs> So fucking kids get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, I feel like we should get into some quickies. All right, let's do it. I looked up the best Am I the Assholes of last year. That's what I Googled. And it turns out that they actually, there's like on Reddit, they like vote and give out awards for wow. the best That's- post and the biggest asshole. And um, and I'm going to read both of those to you. <laughs> so <Good. laughs> I'm dying okay. to know who the biggest asshole is. Okay. So this one is okay. was voted the biggest asshole. So the... Okay. Um, the title of this one is, Am I the Asshole for Not Wanting My Husband to Go to His Ex's Funeral? Uh, okay. She starts and she says, I'll admit I'm biased right off the bat. I couldn't stand her. I call her his ex to myself and others. He called her his friend. We're all in our early 40s. She died recently from an aneurysm. That's I've been horrible. With him. I know. I've been with him 10 years now, but he'd known her for 20 plus. The way he tells it, they were friends in college, decided to date, got married, then realized they weren't a great couple and decided to just be friends. All that happened years before I met him. He was clear early on that she was important. 
Oh, this just has, has important in quotes. A couple months into dating, it came up that his friend was actually his ex-wife. He explained that to me, saying that she was one of his closest friends and that it was purely platonic. I expressed some discomfort at him being so close to an ex, and he told me, that's fine. If you have a serious issue with it, let me know now and save us some time. I'll choose her. I like you and all, but I've known her for over 12 years, and she's one of the most important people in my life. You'll have to be okay with that if you want us to be a thing. So he told her that early on in their dating life. So this wasn't like mm-hmm. he said this after they were married. So I that I, when I read it first, I was like, well, that's crazy. But I can see how she would have a resentment against this woman because of okay. that experience. Okay. Anyway, so when we were engaged, I asked again. He gave me this perplexed look and asked, why would us getting married affect my friendships? I sucked it up and went along. I resented every moment of knowing her especially when we had to be social. She understood some part of him I couldn't. Her husband was friends with with mine as well, so it's not like I could use him as an angle. He'd have lunch with the ex, they'd go to their geeky movies and whatever. (laughs) The few times I brought it up, he said, we've had this conversation before, you had your chance to back out. She died after they had lunch the other day on the way to her car. He spent a bunch of time crying, but honestly, I was relieved. He was working with her husband on funeral planning. I told him, you don't think you're going, do you? (gasps) I know. My (sighs) argument summed up. She's dead. She's not a factor anymore. He doesn't get to use his she's my friend excuse since she doesn't exist anymore. He has his cry for a couple days. He gets to be done with mourning her already. There's no need for him to go to her funeral since I wouldn't want her at his. He was the angriest I've ever seen him when I told him that, replying that he'll go no matter how I feel and that he is willing to burn this to the fucking ground while holding up his wedding band. He said, besides you, she was the closest friend in my life. Him, her husband, and my sisters are all calling me an insensitive asshole over this, all saying that there was no romantic aspect to their relationship and that I'm heartless. Her husband went so far as calling me a ghoul for how I've reacted. I've never felt their relationship was appropriate, and I hid that for years because I wanted to be with my husband. Now that she's gone, I don't feel like I should have to hide it anymore and can speak freely. Am I the Uh. asshole for just wanting to be done with her and for him not to attend the funeral? I mean, do I even have to say it? She's 1,000% the fucking asshole. Like, she is a ghoul. She is a ghoul. Isn't that like, so somebody, I thought this was like a perfect comment. Um, Somebody said, when he divorces you, he probably won't have to explain his friendship with you to the next woman because seriously, who'd want to stay friends with a woman who had treated you like this? Exactly. That is like the most hurtful, I don't, I could see him getting so irate and saying he would burn it all to the ground because- that is the most like when you have lost your closest friend in the whole world and you are yeah. hurting so bad and something so um like like out of the blue and shocking like right as I, someone you know, in their 40s having dying of an aneurysm yeah and it's then just... your wife kicking you while you're down and telling you you're not allowed to go to the funeral like i hope they're not together i hope they got divorced immediately yes Yes. Did they? I, I mean, I don't know. There was oh. no – I'm guessing because the person who wrote this was the, was like the one who, you know, was the asshole. Probably right. there was no follow-up. Oh, man. What an asshole. Like I can't even wrap my head around like how, how she could even be confused by that. You know, like how she yes. could be like, what? Like, like, well, he's done. She no longer exists. It's like, 
No. That is so <laughs> No, that is so heartless. Heartless to even say those words. I'm just yes. like in shock and That is a person I, that's a person who's never lost someone. Like yes. never like has had like a charmed life, has never lost someone, has not can't even contemplate losing somebody they're close to. And to I be like, you're you should be over it. You've had your cry. She I didn't like them. Is likely a psychopath because that's yes. the most like disconnected, like heartless thing I've mm. I've heard in a really long time. Yes. There's she's got major issues. Oh man. Yeah, well deserving of biggest asshole post. Okay, yeah. Okay. I'm glad everybody agrees. Yeah. Okay. So this one is more silly. Um okay. and this was I think this one was voted the best post or it was nominated for the best post. So this one says, am I the asshole for being mad? My boyfriend won't make noodles the way I like. Okay. (laughs) Okay. This sounds dumb, but hear me out. I've always been a picky eater, especially when it comes to tomatoes. Ever since I was a kid, my dad would make my spaghetti different from the rest of the house. I like having an essence of the sauce flavor on noodles, but not the overpowering flavor of having noodles bathed in sauce creates. Okay. And I'm, I, I don't, I'm like, I'm, it's, I'm not mad at that because I remember Fair enough. when you I like was, like. when I was, um, not eating meat, I would sometimes order pepperoni pizza and take it off because then I would like the essence yeah. of pepperoni. <laughs> that makes total sense to me. Right? Yes. Okay. Um, so here's where it gets a bit odd. My dad would separate my spaghetti from the families after putting the sauce on it and would get rinse the sauce off with the sink and strainer. I love noodles like this as it has a nice subtle tomato flavor um, given to the mi- given the mild spaghetti. So she is 20. Her boyfriend is 26. Note about this since he first started dating. He always told me my food habits were cute. We've been dating for almost three years now and moved in together at the beginning of the pandemic so we could be in lockdown together. Ever since we moved in, he insisted on taking charge of cooking and all cooking related tasks. And he signed me the role of the bulk of the cleaning of the apartment. We split every other task pretty much 50-52. Everything was perfect, and he always seemed to be making my noodles the way I liked them and when we had them. (laughs) That was until last week when we last had spaghetti. We ate, and everything was good, but afterwards he started teasing me, saying things like, you really like your pasta with an essence of tomato. How was your tomato essence, babe? Always using finger quotes around the word essence. After a few comments, I felt something was off. Did you? Um, And asked him if he had done anything differently with tonight's noodles than he usually does, and he started laughing. When he finally stopped laughing, he told me the whole truth while smirking. He said, I don't do anything differently than I usually do. I have never been making it the way you requested. Apparently, the whole time they've been we've been living together, he'd just been skipping the pasta sauce on my noodles entirely. He claimed if I didn't notice for this long, then it shouldn't matter as he is making dinner in a way that's easier for him. I disagree entirely. I think lying was a huge breach of trust, and so was the refusal to make dinner how I wanted. I have admittedly been asking past acting passively aggressively to him since, but he thinks he did nothing wrong, that I'm overreacting and the need to let it go. Am I the asshole? I don't think she's the asshole. No, let me give you a couple of updates. So okay. update one, my boyfriend found the, the post and he's not happy. I'm debating so- <laughs> pouring the sauce directly down the drain to spite him. Edit two. So a lot has happened since this morning. Y'all might be oh happy God. to hear that we broke up. We had a huge blow up fight since he found this post, which led me to breaking up with him. He did not like being called a predator. 
So I, apparently predator. people were like calling him a predator because when they did the math, they've been together three years. She's 20. He's 26. <gasps> so she, they've been together whoa, 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 since whoa. she was since she was <sighs> 17. Yeah, oh, I, I totally missed that part. Okay. Yeah, me too. Okay, so mm. I started thinking y'all had a point about that and I ended up breaking up with him. He attempted to plead with me a bit. My parents pay our rent, so he can't afford the place without me, but I wouldn't budge. Now some things I have found out in the argument. First, he is not a pharmacist like he always told me. He just works at CVS. Oh, my God. He has actually cheated on me multiple times with other girls that go to my college. And lastly, and worst of all, he has actually never been allergic to dogs. He just doesn't like them. Oh, my God. (laughs) What? Well, he's... He's the asshole. Such yes. an asshole. Even if you take away like all of those additional uh, items. Yes. Uh, I still – I think it's so shitty. My ex-husband used – I don't like the taste of protein powder and I've said mm. that. I don't like the taste of it. I yeah. don't like the like fake, um, fake sweetness to yeah. it. And he would always try to sneak it into things – that I was eating just to prove me wrong. Uh-huh. And I, I found that to be – it was so, so annoying. It's so annoying, like, so why, disrespectful. I don't need to prove to you why I don't like it. And it's like you're trying to shame me and embarrass me. And yeah. then like when to sneak things into somebody's food, I just think that that's a breach of trust. I, yes. It just used to drive me crazy. But I mean yes. he was doing it. He was lighthearted and thought he was being funny and I could see how other people would think it was mm-hmm. like lighthearted and silly and funny. But in my, my in my brain, it just – it really rubbed me the wrong way. And so well, like that's right, why Because I can, it's like it's, – it's insinuating that you don't know your own mind. Like that you can't yes. be trusted. Like you don't – you don't understand your own opinion, right? Like there's right. no way you couldn't like this. Right. And yeah. if that's the way that she likes to eat her pasta, then great. Like, and if you, yeah. And if you don't want to make it, that's fine too. You don't, don't have to do it. She'll do it yeah. herself. Yeah. Yeah. So that guy seems like a real piece of fucking work. And yeah, maybe he is predatory. Well, he must be predatory because she was, you know, a teenager when he was with her. But um, also, it just seemed that seems to me like the kind of like controlling, yeah, shaming behavior. You know, I just yeah. yeah, it doesn't sit well with me. I don't like it. So he's the asshole, he's and I'm the glad asshole. they're not together anymore. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. That's what's up. All right. <laughs> All right. What you got? Okay. So my quickie this week is actually, um, I think you're really gonna like it. Okay. Just saying, it's very. Um, old school dumb love. All right. It's like a throwback because it's like super um, silly and lowbrow. Not that we're like particularly highbrow. <laughs> you know, <we're> so classy. <laughs> but I think you're really going to love it. Um, mm-hmm. So, so many people sent this to me. I can't oh, really. Like, probably 10 people were like, here's a story for your punk. Like everybody oh, that's sent funny. this to me. Yeah. And so I was a little afraid you were going to do it. Um, but it's an article for the New York Post by Andrew Ducourt. Um, titled, I'm in a relationship with my 1998 Chevy and our sex life is so special. <laughs> yes, this is old school. I People think in I, love with things. <laughs> one of the first quickies that we did was about a guy that was in love with his car. Yes, um, it was. 
Yeah. So um, in Arkansas, uh, a man who's only going by the name Nathaniel, I guess he doesn't want anybody to know his last mm-hmm. name, although he was on um, TLC's show, My Strange Addiction, uh-huh. and like was on TV, but he's right. not calling people his last name. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's good. Let's figure it out. The Googles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he uh, is making headlines when he was on the show, um, you know, claiming to have sex with his 1998 Chevy Monte Carlo. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is 37 years old, um, and he started his relationship with this car back in 2012. Nathaniel has what's called objectophilia, which is where individuals develop strong sexual or romantic feelings for a specific inanimate object. If you remember, this article actually... uh, touches on if you remember the girl that we did a story on Sarah Roto who um was attracted to her uh Boeing 737 and yeah, then, you yeah. know had plans to marry it mm-hmm. yeah Nathaniel told TLC that he bought his um Chevy at a resale lot in 2007 that's when mm-hmm. he met um his car and he said that he fe- he instantly felt a sexual attraction towards the car he also said that he likes I feel like <laughs> disgusting, even like going into the detail in which like like how would he have have sexual relations with this car? He says that he like sits inside the car and he'll like stroke the steering wheel and then he lays underneath the car and like French kisses the front fender. Like that's his way of and then he like rubs himself up against the car. So Honestly, it um, yeah. was my next question, so I'm glad you answered it. Yeah, I just <laughs> figured everyone wanted to know. Oh, yeah. Um, so he said that his interest in cars started when he was a teenager, but he didn't really think much of it. And he dated several women in the past, but he said that he's never been in love until he laid his eyes on Chase. That's the name of the car. Okay. The name of the car is Chase. Um, he said that he spent five years secretly having sex with the car um, because he was scared that he was going to be judged for his objectophilia. Um, But then he finally decided to put himself out there, be proud of his love for his car chase. So, which is why he was on the the TLC's show, My Strange Addiction. And he stands by it. I mean, this is how many st- – we've done a lot of stories about people who have – some people do it as, like, a statement. Some people it's a joke. But there is a very real thing of people, like, falling in love with objects. Like, obviously, there's a name for it. And it really – it's, like, if this isn't an indication of something else, like some other trauma or whatever, then, I mean, it's, like, well, let people – if they're happy, if he's getting – excitement and pleasure he's not hurting anybody great that's kind of i feel it's like as long as you're not hurting anybody like do your thing get your rocks <laughs> off it's fuck your fuck your car do it fuck your car <laughs> but um it's yeah it's not my thing not my but thing. it's not for everyone yeah but it, i think as long as he's like the people are doing so many worse things in the world and harming people and you know um like this is just something that it's like i think we could just let him love his car if he wants to let him love his car however he wants yeah exactly let him do it so um yeah i just thought you would appreciate that because i do appreciate that yeah (laughs) i mean i'm full circle (laughs) i don't think this guy is full of shit this guy seems legit like we've Mm -hmm. done a ton of these where it's like 
you know, it's funny that the guy married right. a man, Mountain Dew can. It was for the publicity and for right. the free trip to Vegas, you know, things like yeah. that. But like this guy is, I think he really loves Chase. I love yeah. that he named it Chase. I mean, that's yeah. great. What a great name for a car. <laughs> it's like a, like Disney cars. It's like right? a Lightning McQueen. There's, there's got to be a Chase something something. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, so that's my quickie for this week. I love I it. You enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I enjoyed good. it very much. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a wild story? Yeah, I am. <laughs> My stupid chair is so squeaky. <laughs> Mine is too. I'm always okay. like, I, I always thought it was like when I listen when we listen back to episodes. I'm like, God damn! I think it's my chair, but now I think it's yours. I think it's mine. I think you've been gaslighting me this whole time. <laughs> I didn't know you thought that. <laughs> I did. I thought it was my chair. No, it's, like, I have it's to mine. Stop moving around because <laughs> it's also like a desk chair, and it's like real. You know, it like moves all over so I, I like I can't keep it still it's not like I'm I mean I am fidgety but also it just does it even though if I'm sitting like this can you hear it yeah I can hear it wait yeah. can you hear mine no not as much no it's, oh so it's God, definitely me <laughs> it's been it's me the whole time <laughs> it's coming uh, from inside the house <laughs> but my house not your house yes uh, okay. okay. I got my information this week from an article in St. Louis Magazine by Kimberly, Kimberly Leidig, from McCall Magazine by Ellen Harris, and from Victory Magazine by Annette Foglino, and from a website called Donna.Earth2.net. Um, they still have McCall's. That was like such well, this a mom was a, magazine. Yeah, I don't think there like, is McCall's anymore, but this was like oh, okay. a, yeah, an article a long from time two, ago. 2000. So. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, My mom okay. loved Tim McCall's. I'm just oh, saying. Yeah. She well, had to get McCall's, McCall's at the super – Didn't they have like patterns? Wasn't that like part of McCall's? That I they had like, like sewing mostly, patterns? mostly – if I'm not – I thought McCall's was mostly like um, recipes, like how to lose 20 pounds in three days. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like that kind <laughs> of like supermarket fodder. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. No? It was yeah. like a one page would be like a recipe for like a double chocolate fudge fudge <laughs> – like crazy cake and then yeah. the, the page to the next of it is like how to lose 20 pounds in three days by only eating boiled eggs right. and grapefruit because you're fat because but you're also fat, beautiful but love you yourself have, but you yes. love this cake <laughs> ah, why are we so crazy i don't get it i don't know uh, i do i love those there's a, a instagram account that i follow where it's a nutri like a dietitian um and she's always talking about like, do you ever wonder when you, if you grew up in the '90s why you have food issues? And then it'll be like, you know, snack wells, like oh getting shape, girl, like all of these things that you're like, oh yeah, no wonder we're all fucked. <laughs> like we totally. just, I mean, Weight Watchers for children, like all of these things. You're like, oh god, yeah, yep, yeah, that's why. Um, okay, here we go. Jim and Donna Bully met at a college party right before Christmas break in 1970. Their attraction to one another was instant. Donna was fun. She was adorable. She had this cute little bob haircut, and she's only four foot ten, so she just like came right up to his shoulder. Aww. And 
Donna just, Jim was so handsome. She said he had hazel eyes and short, light brown hair that laid in beautiful waves. They were both studying to become teachers. And over that winter break, they talked to each other on the phone. And then when school started back um, in 1971, they were inseparable. Um, they dated all that year. And then in November of 1971, Jim asked Donna to marry him. They were married in July of 1972, and they moved to Sykeston, Missouri, so that Jim could start teaching while Donna finished up school. Once she graduated, she became a teacher, too. She taught eighth grade math. Um, the two had two boys, Stephen and Christopher, and then together the family moved to St. Louis uh, so they could be closer to Donna's family and so that Stephen could take a job as a high school counselor because he had gotten his master's degree during that time. So Donna took a job at a middle school teaching math um, and they bought a house and the boys were involved with Boy Scouts. Donna says that time she was happy but also overwhelmed. Um like most women, especially during that time, Donna was shouldering the majority of work of managing the home and childcare on top of her full-time job. So she finally sat down and talked to Jim about it. And I think to his credit, unlike many men of his generation, he actually agreed to do something to make their workload more equitable. And he offered to take over all of the cooking. Um, in August of 1991, Donna was diagnosed with IBS. She had been having like cramping in her stomach and she couldn't keep food down. And so she went to her doctor and then she went to a gastroenterologist who diagnosed her and he gave her some pain medication and told her basically like, it's just something you're going to have to live with. Um, oh. She said she wasn't happy with the diagnosis, but now at least like all these symptoms she'd been having now had a name. So- she was pretty sick on and off that entire school year. Like her illness would flare up. She would have to take two days off school. She couldn't eat. She would take the oh. pain pills. She said she would have to lie flat on her stomach with no pillow. Just like it was the only way to get any kind of relief. Like her oh, hair God. started getting thin and falling out. And when she would have these episodes, Donna was said that Jim was just so doting. He was, she was so grateful that he was there to pick up the slack with the family. Um, over the summer of 1992, things seemed to start getting better. Donna kind of assumed that the stress was what of like teaching and just life was what was causing her IBS to flare up during the school year. And, you know, her summers were much less stressful. So she felt pretty good over the summer. And then in August, she started getting sick again. She's had some cramping and flu-like symptoms. Um, and oh, she talked to her mom who said, oh, you know, I had some cramping when I was having issues with my ovaries. So maybe you should talk to your gynecologist. So he did an ultrasound and he found a cyst on one of her ovaries. So they scheduled a hysterectomy. Um, and it was scheduled for Thursday at the end of September. Donna ended up like right before the surgery was supposed to happen. She became violently ill and she ended up in the hospital like the Monday before the surgery was scheduled. Like her fever was up to 105. She was in unconscious. They actually packed her in ice to get her fever down. Oh my down. God. Yeah. And wow. when she woke up, she asked what day it was. And she was told that it was Wednesday. She'd actually lost two days. So when she woke up, even though her fever wasn't totally gone, doctors said that she was well enough to go ahead with the hysterectomy. They thought like, if this is causing the problem, we should go ahead with the surgery. And she was so desperate for her health to improve that she was like, yes, this might be my answer. So 
Although the surgery went well, she woke up and she was in surgical intensive care and she was hooked up to life support equipment because something in her system had conflicted with the anesthetic and her body had completely shut down. She was actually on life support for 10 days. She came very close to death. Doctors ran all sorts of tests, including tests for like heavy metals, which was like for poison to see what they could see if like if that caused the reaction, but they found nothing abnormal in her system. So they really had no answers. But when she returned home, she was she was weak. She only weighed 80 pounds, but slowly like her strength returned. She was able to eat again um, and she was getting better. She was actually able to go back to work and she didn't have any pain for the rest of that school year. Um, her hair was starting to come back and she felt like she had finally, like this hysterectomy had finally solved her health issues. She was just thrilled to be able to like be a present parent with her boys who were 11 and 14 at the time and to be back with work with her students, to be back, to be able to be just like a normal, have a normal life with Jim. But then after almost 10 months of no symptoms in August of 1993, Donna started to get sick again with the same cramping and flu-like symptoms. She was so frustrated that her problems had returned. Um, She was, school had started, but Donna was just said she was so weak. She couldn't do anything more than just give out worksheets. And then she would sit with her head on the desk while she, while like her students worked. Um, She went back to the doctor and the Friday after Labor Day, she would admitted to the hospital. They were like more specialists come, came in more tests run, including like a painful bone marrow test. And finally she was given another diagnosis of lupus, even though the symptoms weren't quite right. They just were like, this is the best we can guess. So she was in the hospital for six days that time. She was given medication and was released So she went back to school the next Monday and she just was not feeling better. Her legs started getting swollen. She said even her like loosest pants were hard to get on. She was losing feelings in her arms and legs. And then on that Thursday of that week, her principal came down the hallway and saw her crawling up the back stairway because she couldn't. She was too weak to walk. And he was like, you have to go home. Um, So Donna was too weak to eat. Um, so Jim, who had been amazing and just doting this whole whole ordeal, brought Donna a glass of milk. Donna drank it down and noticed that there was like a pink residue on the bottom. And she mentioned it to, Z- to Jim and he was like, well, you know how like discount milk can be. And she said she didn't think anything of it. But then two nights later, her symptoms had only gotten worse. She was in so much pain, she couldn't breathe and her legs were even more swollen than before. So she asked Jim to take her back to the hospital and he was like, you know, I think maybe you should give your new medication a chance to work. And he was like, if you're still sick on Monday, I'll take you. But Donna in her heart, she knew something was wrong. She said she felt like she was dying. So she called her mother and was like, I need to go to the hospital. Um, And her mom said, I will come right away. But when Jim heard her on the phone, he was like, I didn't realize it was so bad. I will take you to the hospital. So he took her there. And when she got there, the doctor said that if she had waited even one more hour to come in, she wouldn't have made it. Oh, my God. The next day, Donna had five seizures. Her heart stopped twice, and she had to be brought back to life with um, with shock paddles. She became paralyzed from the nose down and was moved to intensive care. 
she had a tracheotomy done. She was put on a respi- respirator. She couldn't eat or anything. So a stomach tube was inserted. Doctors were at a loss. They had done all the tests and nothing explained what was happening to Donna. So she was sent for a CAT scan in hopes that they would pick something up that they hadn't before. And that is when a nurse finally found a clue that would unlock Donna's medical mystery. While Donna was having the CAT scan, a nurse walked into her hospital room and found Jim having a phone conversation. He had his back turned to her and she didn't want to interrupt. So she slowly backed out of the room. But then she paused when she realized that the conversation that he was having sounded intimate, like too intimate for a man whose wife was dying. And that is when she heard him say the word that made her blood turn cold. And that word was arsenic. Oh my God. Yeah. So the nurse immediately reported the conversation to the resident on call and the resident warned her, like, if you're wrong and you accuse this man of something that serious, like it could mean your medical license. And she was like, no, I know what I heard. This man is poisoning his wife. So the doctors ran the test for arsenic. And even though they had run these tests before, they had done blood tests and apparently arsenic only stays in your blood for two days. Um, that's why he didn't want her to go to the hospital. That's yet. why he didn't want her to oh go to hospital. God. So they ran a hair, they got a hair sample and arsenic, like you can detect it in your hair as long as you have that hair. Like once it's in there, it's there. Yeah. So the test came back with a level of arsenic that was six times what is considered fatal. Oh my God. They showed that she had been poisoned for at least four to eight months, possibly longer And although doctors immediately began treating Donna for arsenic poisoning, the damage was so severe that they only gave her a 5% chance of recovery. Oh, my God. And they said that even if she did live, she would likely remain completely paralyzed. So police were called in. Of course, they questioned Jim. And he suggested to detectives that maybe a student had dropped poison into the water cup that Donna always kept on her desk because, yeah, the symptoms seemed to only happen during the school year. So the police talked to Donna, but they had to communicate with an alphabet board because she couldn't speak. She had a tracheotomy. Um, She was, like, mentally clear, but physically couldn't move, couldn't speak. So they asked her about Jim's theory, and she said emphatically, like, no, her students would never – But then they pressed her and she gave them two names of students who had been troublemakers. But then as the detectives got up to leave, Donna began to cry and they were like, what is it? And she spelled out, I'm afraid Jim might have been involved. Oh, my God. Yeah, because as Donna had been lying there paralyzed, she'd been replaying several key moments over and over that hadn't been connected at the time, but now added up to something that was devastating. So the first was that in 1991, so this is like three years earlier, while they had been on a family vacation in rural Missouri, Jim had bought a box of rat poison. And he had told Donna it was to get rid of the squirrels in the yard. And it was not long after that that Donna started getting sick for the first time. Oh, God. Second, and pretty damning, after she was recuperating from that hysterectomy in 1992, this was the time she had been on life support for 10 days, she had received a phone call from a woman who told her that Jim was having an affair with a woman he'd met on a telephone dating service. And Donna was like, you have to be wrong. Like, Jim and I have been married (sighs) for 20 years. He has told me he loves me every day of our lives. He is a doting husband. And the woman was like, 
no, if your husband is a counselor at this high school, it is the right gym bully. And then she gave Donna the access code so that she could like get into Jim's message on the telephone dating service. I don't really know how it works, but Donna called the service and heard her husband's voice saying, intelligent, handsome, ivory man looking for an ebony woman. And Donna was devastated. But when she confronted Jim, he was like very easily was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Like, I'm I just I recorded that message for a colleague who has a speech impediment. And oh my God, Donna said she was like, I knew that was something Jim would totally do. He's like always helping everyone around him. And so she believed him. And then the third thing was that uh, Donna, Jim had, and Donna both had life insurance on each other, but Don had, Jim had recently upped her life insurance and Donna actually had agreed with him at the time that it made sense. I mean, they had two young kids. She'd been very sick. She'd almost died the year before. And if something happened to her, he would be supporting them on his teacher salary. But now she had a $600,000 life insurance policy. And then finally she told them, she thought about the pink residue in the milk right before she was hospitalized. So slowly through that alphabet board, she told police everything. Jim was brought in for questioning. After 12 hours, he finally confessed. He <gasps> told police he did buy the box of arsenic. He had added it to the salt shaker that Donna used at every meal. And he told them that he had sprinkled the last box into her glass of milk on September 23rd, right before she got into the hospital. Oh, my he God. Told, yeah, I know. He told police that he did it. So this is like the most the most bullshittiest of bullshit things. He said he did it because he wanted to spend more time with Donna. He said, she's always go, go, going. And the arsenic slowed her down. I love my wife very deeply. Oh, my God. Yeah, Fuck I know. Fuck you. You're like, what about these women <laughs> you're on a phone service for. So the police, of course, were not buying it. On October 10th, 1993, while Donna was still paralyzed in the hospital, Jim was charged with first degree assault. Um, it's because Missouri doesn't have a charge for attempted murder and also with armed really? criminal action. Mm. Um, so Donna still in the hospital. And when her mother told her what happened, she didn't believe it. She she was like, I love him. I've been with him my whole life, right? 20 over 20 years they've been married. Um, and she said she momentarily lost hope. She truly believed like, if I'm going to be paralyzed, I'm better off dying. But then her boys came to visit and she says she realized that no matter what she needed to recover for them, that became her driving goal to reunite with her sons. Uh, before Thanksgiving in 1993, Donna was moved to rehab. She told her physical therapist, I won't leave here until I can walk out the door and I want to dance again. And the PT told her that might be unrealistic because at the time, Donna couldn't move any of her limbs. She had a feeding wow. tube and she was on a respirator and could like she couldn't even talk. So, but Donna didn't give up. In late February 1994, after extensive work with this physical therapist, like daily hours and hours and hours a day. She finally told her PT she was off the respirator. She was off the feeding tube. And she said she wanted to try to stand. And she did. And then on April 1st, 1994, with a little bit of help, she walked out of the rehab center and went back to her home with her kids. 
Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And so the boys, she said, were amazing. They helped her with all the house things. Um, she said she felt guilty, but her sons, who are now teenagers, said they would rather be with her than with anyone else. Um, so that fall, Donna actually went back to work. She told her seventh graders, you're not allowed to use the word can't in this classroom because anything is possible. I'm not supposed to be here. So meanwhile, Jim sat in jail this whole time. Um, police discovered multiple affairs in addition to the upped life insurance policy. Um, he went to trial in 1995, and it took the jury only 92 minutes to find him guilty. And they sentenced him to two consecutive life sentences. Good. Yeah. So Donna continued to recover. She said in an article in 2000 for McCall Magazine, I used to think why did this awful thing happen to me? And then I reversed it and think, why was I saved? She found a new love and got engaged to a man named Harry Kohler. She said, I've learned the value of enjoying what life has to offer. I almost lost mine. And now I've been given a second chance. My goal is to walk without braces. I can dance now, not swing yet, but I can polka. But then Jen, (laughs) then not long after she gave that quote to McCall's magazine, Donna found out that Jim had recently tried to hire a hitman <gasps> from jail to have her killed. Why? What a motherfucker. What a motherfucker. Uh, spite? I don't know. Oh, Apparently. What a piece of shit. Yeah. He told his cellmate that he wanted to have some have someone killed, and the cellmate connected him with a hitman, who actually, of course, turned out to be an under- undercover police officer. So Jim told the officer, yes, in the visiting room of the jail, that he wanted a hitman to kill both Donna and this woman named Carrie Constanen, who was the prosecutor on his case. He told the officer that he should try to lure Donna out by telling her he was a reporter and that he should run over her with a car. Jim was once again charged and tried. Donna had to testify, and she said she was so nervous. It was the first time in five years she had seen him. But as someone who was told she would never walk again, she walked on her own up to the stand and testified once again. And again, it took less than two hours for a jury to convict him. So when she was asked after the trial if she was saddened by what happened donna told the st louis magazine that she didn't have time for that she said she was too busy giving motivational speeches throwing parties and planning her wedding to harry god saved me to help get through people get through tough tragedies so sadly uh, she and harry were married he sadly passed away in 2016 but today donna is still living in st louis and from what i can tell from some very light internet stalking um (laughs) she's retired she spends time with her grandchildren she has this amazing social life with a group of women that they call uh the wild wicked women and yeah it's like there's all these pictures of her just doing tons of stuff with this group just a group of women it's so so great it's like what i want in retirement um and then two days ago she posted that she has the best kids in the world and so she's obviously still very close with her son so that's amazing. Um, I mean, it's an amazing story of survival and thriving and resiliency. I mean, resilience. Yeah. Ooh, good. Mm. Good word. That's the one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Like, I, I mean, she's absolutely amazing. Yes. And I mean, I'm in awe of her. Yeah. And I'm also in awe of the fact that somebody could be so evil. So evil and cold to the mother of his children and yes. a woman he'd been with for 20 years. They've been married for 20 years and she lit, she like legit 
thought they were happy. She's like, we were happy. He was like, literally said, I love you. I'm ha- I'm grateful for you every day. That is so terrifying. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. Yeah. And like just the fact that he was so unremorseful that he even couldn't just let her go live her life. He's in jail. What's he going to yeah. do? Why is he blaming or why does he have any animosity towards her at all? It's right. just, ugh, some people are just, ugh, just so evil. Evil. Yeah. Jeez Louise. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for just a nice little love story? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> yes, please. There's a little bit. There's some up and down, but nothing too crazy. It's okay. definitely very palatable. It's a very palatable love story. I love um, that. Like some ice cream in the summer, maybe some sorbet. Yes. It's like a nice yeah. sorbet. Yeah. The story came from an article for people.com written by Dan- Diane Herbst. Herbst. Um, Herbst. Yes. Ed Snickenberger and Priscilla Matheny last saw each other in 1963. They had actually gotten engaged uh, the September before in 1962. And um, it was announced in their local newspaper, mm-hmm. the Herald Mail. Um, Ed, who grew up on a farm outside of Hagerstown, um, went off to college a few hours away at West Virginia University. So they were engaged and he went off to college. We used to live there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's been taught there. We We lived there. We lived everywhere. We lived in Morgantown, West Virginia for five years, Jen. Oh, that's right. You have said that before. So Priscilla, who uh, was a Hagerstown native, she used to take the bus to visit her fiance at his school in Morgantown um, every so often. But then in March of 1963, she received an unexpected letter. Um, She told People magazine, of course, I was excited because I thought it was one of my nice letters I'd been getting. Um, And it was a Dear John letter. And he was saying that he was breaking off their engagement. Just so sad. Um, So Ed um, says that when he wrote that letter, he was feeling the financial pressures of school and that the idea of marriage had just become so overwhelming. I mean, they were young. Yeah. He said it... um, and Priscilla said, it broke my heart, which he never knew, because I never saw him again or talked to him after that letter. Wow. Um, so Can you imagine yeah. just like, just a letter, that's it, nothing else. Yeah, and then she was like, I mean, why even respond, you know, really? Yeah. Just like, okay, bye. And so she, but it broke her heart. And so she moved on with her life, um, and she started working as a secretary when she met Wally Matheny. Um, and then, then November of that year, they got married. Um, she said, I just really thought that the Lord had sent him to me to heal my broken heart. Oh. I know. And so, uh, um, and meanwhile, Ed became uh, consumed by his studies and he earned a master's and a PhD in mechanical engineering at West Virginia University. Um, and in 1968, he married a woman named Scotty Hansborough, who was another woman from his hometown. Mm. Um, so for 36 years, I taught at WVU in the Department of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering. So he's wow. a smart pan. Yeah. Um, and he also worked for federal agencies, including NASA. 
Both couples had children and then later went on to have grandchildren. And then unfortunately in 1986, Priscilla's husband, Wally, passed away. Mm -hmm. And she stayed in Hagerstown and devoted her uh, life to her Lutheran church and her family. And so then in October 2021, Ed's wife, Scotty, passed away. He became a widower and started calling his sisters every night to just talk. And so while he had these conversations with his sister, it led him to the realization that he had unresolved business with the woman that he wanted to marry back in 1962. So um, Ed said, I was grieving and my youngest sister sometime in the spring of last year said Priscilla was such a good lady. Mm. Isn't it funny that like, so much time can pass, but you're like, but what about that really, you know what I mean? What about that gal? 60 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so he decided to find her. He said, um, I just took it upon myself to say, I just need to say that I'm sorry. Mm. Um, and within a week, um, in April of 2022, um, he saw that Priscilla uh, Matheny commented on a Facebook, um, page for St. Mark's, Lutheran Church in Hagerstown, the church that he went to as a child. So okay. he saw her. So he was like, I'm doing some yeah. detective work. <laughs> yeah. So he sent her a friend request and she denied it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. She said, <laughs> she said um, Priscilla told People Magazine, I thought, what is with this guy? I don't want to be friends with him on Facebook. <laughs> so funny. Um, so she, and then he sent her a bunch of messages on Facebook Messenger, but she completely ignored him yeah she probably Um, didn't see him that happens all the time (laughs) yeah ed said i told her she was my heart's desire and priscilla said i thought that took a lot of nerve um so undeterred ed decided to reach out to the church and ask its secretary to pass along um his desire to get together with priscilla when he returned to hagerstown for easter bold Um, yeah and Priscilla said, uh, said, I told the secretary, you tell him I don't want to see him. I thought, what's going on? Why does he want to see me now after what he did to me? Yeah. And so uh, Priscilla decided that the only way to get rid of him, in quotes, uh, was to meet Ed for coffee at the Panera in their town when he came back into town. <laughs> so on Good Friday, she messaged him and um, she said, you know, I'm just going to find out what's going on and that'll be the end of that. Yeah. So they met up at the Panera and then they ended up talking for two hours and Ed asked for Priscilla's phone number and address. Um, uh, But she said that when she left the Panera, she really had no intentions of ever speaking to him again or seeing him again. Yeah. Um, So that night Ed called and Priscilla said, I had a pretty bad evening with tears because I think I realized that there was still some love there for him, which I probably would have denied. I know. Yeah. So to avoid seeing Ed again, she really was fighting this. Yeah. To avoid seeing it again, she skipped church and watched Easter, Easter service on the internet, which Dang. like, that's a lot for someone yeah. that's like, you know, very like dedicated church is to their, their life. Church. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, Easter is um, like, it's like the Super Bowl for church, and after, church people. <laughs> totally. That's <laughs> the most important day of the year. Second most mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Um, and, after it ended, um, the service ended, Ed called her um, and told her that he was outside her door. Uh, so uh, he said, she let me in. Uh, Sunday afternoon was the time when the flames, uh, he said, we couldn't hold them back. 
uh, they hugged and um, Ed said, for me, it was like 60 years just went away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that afternoon, that very afternoon, Ed asked Priscilla to marry him. And um, Priscilla's bold. He's bold. I know. She's like barely letting him in her, her house. <laughs> I know. I mean, his persistence obviously paid off. And yeah. It's like, you know, if you want something, go for it. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you're just going to. It'll just, you know what I mean? It could be a total love loss. Like if right. you don't have the balls to go for it, then like then yeah. it's just not going to happen. So, um, but that being said, if a woman says no, it's very confusing it's for very everyone. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> What's the message here? Oh, I don't know. It's very sweet, but also like. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> don't listen to it. Um <laughs> I'm just a shitty comedian with a, sh- a great po- I was gonna say shitty podcast. Great podcast, Sally. Anyway. Um so uh um Priscilla said that when he proposed to her, uh she was kind of like, Whoa, I'm not ready for this. It's way too soon. And she said, I have no plans to get married again. Yeah, it is too soon. Like yeah. you haven't seen each other for 60 years and you've like just hugged. Right? I know. It's like it was an electric hug. So um, after Ed drove, went back to Morgantown, he couldn't stop thinking about Priscilla. He even mm-hmm. told his daughters that he was in love with the woman he knew before he met their mom. Yeah. Um, so just about every weekend, Ed would drive to uh, Hagerstown to visit her. And by June, she finally accepted his proposal and they were engaged again. Um, Priscilla said, one of the things that brought us together to begin with was our belief in God and our Christian background. Um, Because apparently um, when they met, they were in their late teens and they met through their Lutheran church activities. Uh Um, She said, I knew he was a good Christian guy and he's very caring, a sweet guy. These are some things that I loved about him before. Hmm. She thought that a long engagement sounded good to her, but Ed suggested that they got a fall wedding. Um, (laughs) And it was a gradual weakening on her part uh, from never to eventually to her agreeing to do it. Yeah. Um, So now they've been married for two months and they are living together in Priscilla's home. And Ed said, I couldn't be happier. I felt like this was God's gift to me. Priscilla um, said that she feels the same. Uh, She said, he is still a good man overall, kind, thoughtful, caring. It's nice to have somebody like him in my life and share the rest of our lives together. Uh, Now they said that they just enjoy doing day and overnight trips, attending church, seeing movies, and going to symphony concerts together. Ed said, she makes me feel five years younger. (laughs) I love that. It's like, not like, I feel like a teen again. It's like, I feel 75. (laughs) Yes. And I know, I love it. And so, and Priscilla's, let's all take Priscilla's advice. Don't take my, Priscilla says, this is a good way to put it. Never give up hope. In my case, it was shocking. Just hope that someday there's somebody who's going to come along. Or yeah. um, as and People Magazine said, or in her case, come back. So, a sweet little love story. That's a sweet little love story. You're like, that's my little love story. <laughs> you like it? I like it. I like it. Good. Congrats to the happy couple. Yeah, it's a very sweet. Yeah, very, very sweet. sweet. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to start, and this is, you know, of course, just a 
tragedy. I'm sure everybody saw in the news that there was a mass shooting in Atlanta. Um, and the woman, the, the woman who died was a mom in our community. And mm-hmm. um, Amy St. Pierre, she was 38. She had kids that went to a school not far from where our kids go to school. And she was a CDC employee. You know, it's just a tragic loss. That's really all there is to say. It's just uh, another more gun violence that we've been talking about it and talking about it. And it feels like uh, it just, you know, there's nothing more to say about it, except that I feel like we can't stop talking about it because we can't just let this be normal. So we can't let this be normal. It could be any one of us. She was at a doctor's office where people I know are, that's their doctor, you know, it just is, um, it's just so sad. It's so sad. Um, it's so sad what happened. So, um, anyway, I, you know, um, I think going to a mom's demand meeting on just trying to do what I can on Tuesday, just to like, what, what can I do? What can I figure out to make things feel less helpless? Um, with guns and just when the violence really hits so close to home. Um, so that's dumb. Just to switch gears completely. The thing that I love is I just listened to Molly Shannon's book. Hello, Molly. Oh, and she's how just, is that? It was great. She's such a delight. She reads it, of course. So it's like, it's just great to like, I felt like I was like hanging out with her and learning about her life. And um, it's really interesting and well-written and I loved it. So highly recommend if you're just like, ah. I mean, she, has, she had a really, yeah, interesting childhood, interesting life. And um, I loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I need to check it out. Mm-hmm. I have some audible credits I need to use. Do it. Um I, uh, for my something dumb, I was going to say the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah. And while part of me wanted to be like, I can't keep doing these as dumb, you know, because over and over and over, because every single week, like, you're right. It's, we can't not do it because we can't accept it to be normal and not noteworthy. Yeah. To where it's just like an everyday occurrence to where it's not even mentionable on the podcast. Like, it's, it's. Yes. Like it's mind blowing that it just has become such a normal circumstance, but we can't, we can't accept it to be. Yeah. And, um, for something I love, I just wanted to take a minute to, I haven't done this yet on the podcast and I know she listens sometimes. Sophia, uh, I just wanted to congratulate my darling, beautiful niece, Sophia, Sophia. Um, who is, uh, got into Georgia Tech and she, she's going to, she's announced that she will be going there. Smarty pants. Um, I'm just so incredibly proud of her. I literally watched her be born, Yeah, you know, I, um, and grow and she has just been the most beautiful, amazing human being from the day she was born, I'm in awe of her because she makes it look so easy. Yeah. She's, she's like, um, one of the best, most kind hearted, lovely people in the world. I love you so much. So I'm so proud of you. You're going to be, you're going to do such amazing things and I can't wait to watch you do it. 
And in the meantime, you are like stunningly beautiful and it's annoying. No, I'm not annoyed. I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of her. I'm I'm like, have you seen my niece? Is she not like the most beautiful girl in the world? Uh, And so smart. She's so smart. And she's so smart, my Sophia. Um, I love you so much, baby girl. I'm so like thrilled to see what you're going to do. And I'm just so happy you're not leaving us. I know. I was going to say, what a gift. <laughs> She's going to Georgia I know. Tech. And you'll be like five minutes from my house. So I'm, I'm so happy. So I just wanted to say congratulations. Oh, congratulations, yeah. Sophia. I feel like I yeah. know you. I feel like, I mean, <laughs> she started listening. I remember talking about, oh, Sophia's listening. She's 14. And now I she's know. graduated from high school and going to college. Went to prom and oh, oh it's crazy. That's I know. crazy. She drives a car. She drives a car. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. amazing. Um, I well, I love that. All right, well, you guys, that's our episode. Um, I hope you are having a wonderful week, and you you can get in touch with us if you'd like. We're on all of the social media. You can see clips from the show. We have videos up. You can see our faces. Um, you can rate and review. You could tell a friend. Um, we would love all of those things. Yes, we would love it all. We want it all. We want it all. Hey, we- we're women of the 2020s, and we can have it all. <laughs> we will not settle for less. Uh, <laughs> um, thank you guys so much. Uh, we dumb love you so much, and don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum 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 d